Today on The Topping Show, Tucker Carlson interviews Ice Cube and makes make some people melt. Bud Light has a, a brace summer tweet that gets ratioed immediately. ESPN hosts rant on Ron DeSantis. Twitter handle is now at X and their ads are 50% off. Apple is killing the iPod. GM is bringing back the Bolt. Google claims that they're not worried about the ad drop. TikTok to expand to e-commerce. Feds raise interest rate to a 22-year high. Tech companies are leaving New York City. And Trader Joe's has a recall because some of the cookies actually contain rocks. All that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, see their founder release twice today. Have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me. That's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Apple killing the iPod. Perhaps one of their most iconic products in tech history. And they let everyone know that once the remaining iPods on the shelf are sold, they will not be restocked and they will not make a single new iPod. Now, rolling back the clock quite a bit, the first iPod debuted back in 2001 and really broke waves with their tagline that you could have 1,000 songs in your pocket, which today seems pretty rudimentary when you think a micro SD card can contain tens of thousands of songs and it's about the size of someone's pinky fingernail. But at the time it was revolutionary. I am perhaps dating myself when I say this because back when I was a kid, that was one of the coolest things you could have was all that music in your pocket as opposed to having to burn a CD, which was a derivative of a mixtape, which actually used to be a physical tape, which before that was a record, which actually used to be a circular. But I digress. The music evolution has been fascinating throughout the years. And when I asked for a comment, you had Greg Joukowsky, who's Apple's senior vice president of worldwide marketing. He noted that, quote, music has always been a part of the core of Apple and bringing it to hundreds of millions of users in the way the iPod did impacted more than just the music industry. It also redefined how music is discovered, listened and shared. Greg further on went to explain that, quote, today, the spirit of the iPod lives on. We've integrated our incredible music experience across all of our products from our iPhone to the Apple Watch to the Apple HomePod Mini to across the Mac, iPad, and Apple TV. And Apple Music delivers industry-leading sound quality with support for spatial audio or spagel audio. There's no better way to enjoy, discover, and experience music, unquote. Now, I did butcher the spatial or spatial audio, audio comment of his. But overall, I tend to agree, they brought music to the forefront to millions upon millions of people throughout the years. And it is a little sad to see this transition in technology where it was one of those things where there was a very good use case at the time for the iPod. The competition was more complex, more cumbersome. The physical designs were rudimentary to say the least. I know mean, Microsoft spent untold billions on their Zune, which was a hilarious business fail, although also goes to show you could have all the resources on the planet, fiscally speaking, and still not be successful. No one remembers the Microsoft Zune, except tech gurus and, you know, maybe a couple hipsters. The iPod really deviated from all the competition because it was that much better. And the quality was phenomenal. And unfortunately, now, I mean, everyone has their phones. And most people nowadays don't even own their music. They actually don't even pay for it or download it. It's just streaming. 
So yes, there's many reasons why they're killing the iPod. I suspect by now it's not very profitable in terms of, when you look at Apple's sales, most people are overwhelmingly buying the iPhone, which of course has music capabilities built in. But you kind of have that cultural shift where nowadays everyone's just pretty hunky-dory with doing these streaming services where they pay a monthly service and they can listen to their songs on demand. Granted, I'm a little bit more of an old soul, so I prefer actually own my music and download it so it can't be altered, manipulated, or taken away at a fraction of a notice. But that's just me. Now, other interesting business news, you have General Motors bringing back the Bolt, which many are asking why. Well, let's dive in a little bit. Now, they actually discontinued that vehicle, and it was hilariously best known for bursting into flames, which you could blame the lithium-ion battery manufacturer supplier or GM's integration with the technologies coming together. But at the end of the day, that was a pretty big recall where I remember I went to a tech conference and they actually had little disclaimers on the parking lot saying, we, you can't park a Chevy Bolt here because there's a current recall because they could literally burst into flames, which some would argue gas cars do as well. I would argue it's not as hazardous, it's not as hazardous or deadly since pretty much any fire department can put out a gasoline fire. Lithium-ion, that's where you need much more expensive tools and usually just totals the car completely. But I digress. It looks like this new Chevy Bolt will feature a Altium battery technology. And CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, said that the Bolt's popularity, including, quote, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm, this is a serious quote, actually. Mary Barra said, quote, some of the highest customer satisfaction and loyalty scores in the industry, unquote, when asked for a reason of why are you bringing this back after you originally planned to discontinue it. And they actually announced they were going to continue it last year because of the old legacy battery technology and design. So it sounds like it'll be interesting how many body panels and components transition to the old model to the new model, or if they're really just bolting on new batteries into it because they have new technologies. And they also claim that they reported a 25% surge over the past year, and they boosted their profit outlook for this year. And they also, again, plan to cut $1 billion in fixed cost and they're trying to reduce costs because customers, of course, have unprecedented amounts of inflation and ridiculously high infl in, um, interest rates. Now, there is, the devil's in the details. There are a lot of things that are gonna bite GM in the ass. One of the most concerning things is the contract, the, the United Auto Workers. When you look at why GM's gone bankrupt throughout history, and they have multiple times, one of the largest costs is labor. That's artificially inflated compared to the free market because of the unions. I remember back in 2008 when they were talking about that bankruptcy, they had someone putting tires on a car getting paid $68 per hour because they're in the union. Keep in mind, they're using a machine to lift the tires. So they're not even lifting the tire and sweating. They're using a machine to lift the tire and then to actually have a machine with five of little drill bits, or I guess socket wrenches or sockets in this case, actually secure the tire to the vehicle. So this person's very, it's a very rudimentary position and job, and it's one of the reasons they went bankrupt. It's one of the reasons, on average, they've done multiple studies, cars manufactured by unions cost an average of, I believe, $1,800 per vehicle or more, compared to ones not made by a union. There's also quality issues. You look at the best quality vehicles on the planet, they're all made by the private sector without union interference. Look at Tesla. They're the number one car in North America in terms of made in the USA. They had four out of the 10. They don't have unions. They have employees who are driven to have the best product and to put out the most products because they are all, they get stock options if they choose to invest that. 
And you also have Honda. That was the second most in terms of having the most numbers of the top 10 made in the USA with cars.com. Honda and Acura, which they are both not unionized. Think of other successful automobile companies. You have Toyota, which they also own Lexus. They're not unionized either. It's one of those instances where one bad contract is going to tank all the competitive advantages they think they have now. And when you have 40-year hyperinflation and you have these interest rates through the roof, that's a double whammy hurting the consumer, giving them less and less and less incentive to purchase a new vehicle. That being said, new vehicles are also getting more and more expensive, more complex, and with EVs, you don't even own the dang thing. It's like a smartphone. You own the hardware, not the software. You can't work on it on your own. It's not going to last you a quarter of a century like a Toyota Corolla will, which traditionally Toyota Corolla, actually not traditionally, they are the best-selling vehicle in history by number of units sold. And it's just a straight-up internal combustion engine. They last a quarter of a century and a million miles. With the current technology we have, that's not going to happen. Another issue that the UAW is opposing is EVs in general. EVs, by their very nature, do have less components to them. They have more complex components, but the overall number is decreased. You need less low-skill labor to make an EV vehicle. The UAW is opposing that fervently because they know, on average, it's going to be less jobs. It'll be less jobs to create a EV vehicle. You'll need more software jobs. True. So I always debate how many jobs are really overall lost versus created. But UAW is really going to push back against General Motors. And they're already pushing back against Ford. So these the contract negotiations are right around the corner. So I'd be very skeptical if I was an investor, either if I was buying, selling, or holding with their stock. Is this bolt really going to save the day? Is it going to be a Band-Aid fix? What price point does GM have to hit to be competitive against Tesla? No one's going to buy if it's more expensive than a Tesla, I wouldn't think, unless they were a, they get the friends and family discount because they work at General Motors. So I'm very skeptical to see how many people adopt a newer Bolt when there are more and more EVs in the market and there are more and more competition on the market. Well, it will be interesting to see, but time shall tell. As GM also just killed the Camaro. So... The Camaro sales this year are 150% compared to last year. And it's going to be the last year for the good old-fashioned V8 and V6 and internal combustion engine Camaro. It's one of the last vehicles to actually sell the stick shift, which is the best experience you've had bar none with a vehicle. Also known as having three pedals. It's something I implore everyone to experience before it's too late. Next year, apparently GM is going to make the Camaro as a four-door EV sedan. Now, I am not Nostradamus nor... I cannot predict the future. However, when it comes to that particular idea, I would say Outlook not, not, not so good. But who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll turn things around. Maybe the Bolt will be a huge success. And maybe if they decrease the cost enough and they increase the value enough, it could be a, it might be more profitable for the company. Time, as I always say, shall tell. Other interesting business use, you have Google claiming they're not worried about their ad drop. Now, their overall Q2 revenue was $74.6 billion dollars which was a 70, or sorry, 7% increase from the same time period last year. And they claim that all the other parts of the business are basically offsetting it in terms of the ad revenue drop, so they're not too worried overall. Now, executives actually cited, cited Google's core search engine and business and their performance and the YouTube as increasing. And revenue from their cloud business also came up higher than normal, growing at 28%. And they're, of course, trying to Google, they're going to try to pull it together just as a cloud bundle. So you, if you've got by their cloud services, 
You're also buying some of the newer tools generated by artificial intelligence. So they're trying to add more value to their enterprise clients. Most, when I think of Google Cloud, most the average consumer might use it for their photos or maybe some documents, but when you think of the cloud, more often than not, in terms of a volume, it's a lot of enterprise clouds. So you think of Amazon Web Services, that really overtook the industry. You have Microsoft Azure, you have Google Cloud. Those, those are really the top three. You have a couple other contenders. I know Oracle has a cloud option. Pretty much everyone has the cloud option by now, but those are kind of the three major contenders, and Google has been growing exponentially in the commercial space. So it'll be interesting to see how much can they offset the decrease in the YouTube revenue. It sounds like they're not too worried about it, because overall, the like, business is doing phenomenal. Now, I'd be skeptical to see what's the long-term plan as you are having some competition creep up to go against YouTube for the first time, or some for the, for the first time we ever had some realistic competition to that platform. And you even have some of, a little bit of shakeup when it comes to executives. You have Ruth Porat, Google's chief financial officer for the past eight years, actually gonna be moving on to a new role as president and chief information officer of Alphabet in September, which is a pretty big deal because obviously it's the largest tech company on the planet to be in charge of all the technology. That's got to be a fascinating role in and of itself. Perhaps they'll invest in some new technologies or move a couple things around that'll help maybe perhaps reverse the decrease in ad revenue, that trend specifically, as well as grow the entire part of the business portfolio. We shall see. Other fascinating business news, you have TikTok to expand into e-commerce. Now, it's fascinating to see TikTok grow exponentially like a weed or perhaps more apt a tumor as it quite literally is just spyware for the Chinese government and makes Americans, I'd say, marginally less intelligent. As opposed to China, if you use the app in China, it actually teaches kids that they're, it's really cool to be a scientist, an engineer, to be patriotic. Reverse that to the United States, there's basically no limits and basically just feeds children the most deplorable, most morally vacuous content on the planet. But many people, some are just addicted to it, so they love it. Now, it looks like in the beginning, it will only feature goods that are made in China, and they hope to have similar success with other startups known as China's Heisen, as well as Timu. Now, Timu, fascinatingly enough, I don't know how much they're spending on marketing. It has to be damn near every penny they have because every other advertisement I see on the internet is for the Timu app, or Timu, however you pronounce it. It's one of those instances where it's like trying to be compared to Amazon.com, giant e-commerce platform, and they claim to give you all these great goods at a fraction of the normal cost. So TikTok's trying to expand into that realm as well. And it looks like its operations are gonna somewhat eventually uh, resemble Amazon third, Amazon.com's third-party program, where they have third parties actually stores, you know, they have sell, market, ship their products, and they're the ones actually handle the customer service as well for the outside sellers. And according to the journal, they actually noted that they're eventually planning to expand goods from countries other than China. But right now, almost as if they're trying to fuel the already vast amount of pessimism around the app that it literally is just a huge beneficial tool for the Chinese government. Not only getting unprecedented amount of data as people are glued to their eyeballs to their smartphones to this app, but now they're going to buy products exclusively made and sold from China. Now, we have to see what goes on with the competition. It looks like the combination of Shane and Timu have about one-fifth of TikTok's billion monthly active users. So they're growing, but TikTok is still one of the largest social media companies, bar none. And fascinatingly enough, one of the few that is actually headquartered outside the U.S. I suspect if they actually started the app here, which I don't know if you could, given the vast amount of resources you need to start an app, and for a long time it's a lost leader, you're losing money for quite some time. 
it's just a big detriment that they're not headquartered here and their parent company is another government. That's going to be the largest obstacle for mass adoption, in my opinion, when it comes to the United States. You're even having it banned on federal employees' smartphones, which I don't know why federal employees need a smartphone anyway. Just use a rotary phone and a you know email and a computer. I don't know why they need a proliferation of apps if you're supposed to be on the job working, but that's just another topic for another time, perhaps. And this is actually just coming days after TikTok announced that they're going to have a text feature where they're trying to compete with apparently Twitter as well as Threads, where you can just do a little text blog with their differentiator being a thousand character limit as opposed to Threads, which I believe has 500, and Twitter, which has a 280 character limit when you're posting materials. So it'll be interesting to see as they continue to grow and develop, are they going to take on Elon Musk? as a one-on-one -on -one rival trying to have the one app to rule them all as Elon's very vocal about his long-term goal for Twitter, which is now X and having it do everything from your financial transactions to posting your social media. We have to see where they go and which one's the long-term winner. Time shall tell. Now going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light has another dodo of a tweet as they try to pretend to embrace summer. Now they actually had a tweet with a gentleman holding a can of, uh, Bud Light, apparently, it looks like he was opening the can, and oddly enough, his hand was not burning. There wasn't any sensations in that regard, and it looks like within about 19 hours, that that post by Bud Light got 131,000 views, and a mere 447 likes. Which I know, United States testing scores are all-time low for mathematics and well as well as history and science. But I'll do a little math testing today. That is 0.34% of the likes. That's that's pretty much terrible. Now, obviously, of course, they got ratioed within minutes. Now, all these numbers are equal in terms of they are measured at 19 hours at the original post. Now, some of the top responses were a gentleman opening a can and he photoshopped it so that the opening of the can was just exploding with the word ratio, which is the pejorative term that they used to describe a social media where a response to the original post, which is usually pejorative, is more favorably accepted than the original post in and of itself. We're learning today, at least I am, relatively speaking. Now, it looks like that particular post got 6,553 views, but it got 264 likes, which a little bit of mathematics would let us know that's a 4.02% like ratio. Now, you also have another poll in which a gentleman by the name of Rich Mooney, where he asked the questions, we have two choices for the vote. One, make mine a Bud Light, or two, no Anheuser Bush in Beth. Of the 200, or sorry, of the 709 votes cast for this poll, 93 points, no, 97 is more than I thought. 97.3% of the votes said, no, Anna Bush in Beth for me. Now, that poll got 2,495 views. Another views, it got 40 likes, which a little bit of math let us know that's 1.6% of the likes. Now, interestingly enough, there were a couple positive tweets. They're starting to boil up. I'm very skeptical on who is actually posting them since, I mean, the last post they have with Bud Light, you look at the one or two, three favorable responses. One was from an account that had 91 followers and all the person did was retweet for like a handle called Millionaire. And the other account had, I believe, 120 followers. And that one just repost everything related to specific businesses. It was almost like it was a shill account for businesses, which, it's pretty skeptical, pretty, pretty suspicious in my, my, my three cents for that situation. Now, of the few positive posts, you had one which looked, I want to be a, we can't, I'm a profile this gentleman, but he, he was a creepy looking guy holding a Bud Light can't hit him in and of itself. He got 9,243 views. Now, 
You got nine. You you got nine thousand two hundred forty-three views. And guess how many likes he got? He can get a thousand. He can get a hundred. He got twenty-one. Twenty-one likes. That's zero point two two percent likes. It's almost unprecedented how much of a failure that ratio was. Now another post was Bud Light with little can in a forest. That got 9,880 views. And that got 41 likes. So a little bit better. That got 0.41% likes. So it's interesting to see. And of course, you know, most of, most of the entertaining responses were all hidden. The, the most cliche one being Alyssa Heiderschild, the brilliant brainchild, the marketing manager who decided to endorse, have Dylan Mulvaney as their spokesperson. They had her standing above the grave with the little peace sign with the Anders Bush on the tomb's gravestone. And it said, Anders Bush, inception date to now. A classic. And I suspect they're hiding it partially because they'll get sued. But most entertaining responses are the ones that they're hiding and censoring. And it'll be interesting to see as Bud Light continues to kind of lean into the curve, so to say. And they're trying to just put out a massive volume of tweets. I suspect they're hoping people just give up and stop resisting. But I also suspect they've underestimated how much, how much they've alienated what was their core client base. And I suspect, I'd be very optimistic to say they get 10% of that back, maybe. If they're lucky, maybe 15%. I, when it comes to the Magic 8-Ball, I would have to say for that situation, Outlook is not good. But, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting cultural news, you have Twitter. Their handle is now officially at X. And their advertisements are 50% off, which is unprecedented of a good deal, some might say. Now, it looks like their rebranding is completely complete. It looks like if you, the company's handle is at X. So their old ha handle, of course, used to be the at Twitter. So now if you go to, if you go to that, it actually says it's inactive, which of course they probably don't want some, uh, some entertaining comedian or someone to actually take that handle that was free and then use it for entertainment purposes or malicious purposes. Now, it looks like if you go to the top of your web browser, you also see it says it has the X logo as opposed to a little Twitter bird. And they actually, it sounds like they hijacked the at X. So the original owner of the Twitter handle at X, they weren't forewarned or compensated, but he did receive a letter where they offered merchandise and a tour of X's headquarters as a quote, reflection of our appreciation, unquote. Now, granted, it's one of those things where, again, it's not, Elon Musk owns a platform. It's not a user doesn't own their handle. It's really a privilege to use it. So is that, It'd be interesting. I'd be fascinated to know if this was a paid user. That'd be even more almost insult to injury if they just took it and he was already paying them the Twitter blue, which is now they rebranded. But it's one of those things where, eh, I don't know. It's one of those little, little PR things where public relations is a huge industry in and of itself. But it probably couldn't have hurt to have like Elon invite him up to the headquarters or do do some type of a promo video maybe where they do a handshake and be like, oh yeah, I'm selling it to Elon for you know I don't know a couple thousand bucks. Something maybe gets it sounds like a very good example of not free press because they give them some ancillary, you know, something that doesn't cost the company a lot, relatively speaking, but means a lot to the individual. I think it could have been a good marketing promo or PR promo in and of itself, but this was just kind of more mechanical, you know, switch over the handles. So, kind of a marketing fail in that regard, my three cents there. Now, it looks like it's a, part of the other changes, they also. Pretty much changed everything in regards to the internet actual interaction of the app itself so it looks like 
the Twitter Blue subscription service is gone. So it's now called at Blue or at X Blue, which, meh, C plus for marketing? I don't know. It's, it doesn't sound very inspirational. And all it looks like all the API handles have also been re, uh, tweaked. Now, at the time, X had slashed ad rates by 50% to input clients back. I, I don't know about that. Right now, the biggest hesitation all the advertisers have is, quote, unquote, the controversy, which is why Elon Musk hired uh, Miss Macarena, or Yacarino, I'm sorry. She very well may do the Macarena, though. But they, he hired her because her whole background is advertising. That's She has a successful career track of making money for multiple broadcast companies. I believe she also previously worked at NBC. She also did work politically for the left and the right. So some people saw her more as, um, more as a, maybe a balanced leader in terms of political affiliations, but she's also part of the world, what is it, the World Health Organization? No, it's the other one. The secret society that controls everything in Davos and they have that little secret nerd meeting every year. Oh, what is it? World Economic Forum, there we go. There's so many acronyms. I know they try to be secretive, so perhaps they, they don't want you know people to remember the acronym or anything. So perhaps that wouldn't be, you can't maybe knock them for marketing in that regard because they don't want to be known, perhaps. But to have 50% off ads, I don't, I know a lot of companies are decreasing their ad spend because of cost, but I wonder how many of them are going to perceive this as a big, a hot deal and they start to pay for ads now. That'd be very interesting to see how many major businesses come back to spending advertisements. And then also you have the individual, now they're actually having the opportunity where you could promote your own tweet in case you want even more people to see your views and opinions. I, I suspect most of the money will come from inf, you know, quote, quote, influencers, so people who are professional social media users, and maybe some mid-sized businesses will come back, but I think the larger companies are still hesitant because of the past, quote, quote, controversies of the Twitter experience, but we shall see. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have ESPN hosts ranting on Ron DeSantis, which I was gonna say, it's one of those things where They've been doing this from the 90s, I believe, where ESPN was tanking in the ratings because no one was watching the sports balls being thrown anymore. And apparently, I don't know if it's an organic idea or if it just happened, but one of the sports broadcasters eventually started talking about politics, which reinvigorated the channel with the ratings because politics is, by its very nature, more controversial, more, I would say, for many people, it's more interesting than sports balls. So they increased their overall audience, but in a way, they also alienated the people who's really passionate about the sports balls throwing and catching and they're kicking and stuff. And those people, they weren't tuning in for the politics. They wanted the, you know, I want to know, you know, what's the player background? What's the sports ball yardage for the touchback or whatever? So I don't know how many people really stuck around. And they're still doing this to this day. I believe the first instance I read about this was Ben Shapiro's book called Primetime Propaganda, where he talks about the original three channels. You have ABC, CBS, NBC, ABC. And talk about the pivotal moment where they went from purely making profit to pivoting to having making a cause. And ESPN was one of the outliers where I believe they were affiliated with ABC at one point. They're not owned by ESPN, which owns ABC and ESPN and a couple other stations as well. But it just continued to lean into that trend. We even had some of the ESPN hosts being coming out as anti-Second Amendment, which I would guess most people that watch sports balls are, I would consider more patriotic or more American, so they probably believe in the second man, I would hope. So that would be a great, that alienated a lot of folks. I know in terms of anecdotally speaking for my group of friends, some people stop tuning in primarily because of that reason. Now, as the election gets closer and closer, you're probably gonna see more and more of this mixing of 
business and entertainment with politics. Now, it looks like specifically we're looking at Ron DeSantis. Now, the Republican first debate is coming right around the corner at August 23rd. So far, the following gentleman and um, gal have qualified. You've got Ron DeSantis, who's governor of Florida. You have Nikki Haley, which many people just call Diet Hillary Clinton. You have Tim Scott. You have Vivek Wamaswamy. Now, interestingly, <laughs> uh, I almost laughed. Well, I did. Interestingly enough, Mike Pence still doesn't qualify yet. Apparently, he needs you need to have 40,000 uh, 40, donors, as well as have at least 1% of the Republican poll in any primary poll. Now, this doesn't mean he doesn't run. This is the qualifications, I believe, for the actually to get on the debate stage. So just getting on the stage, you do have some there are some qualifications to get there. Now, interestingly enough, Trump's not going to be in time because he's already had in all the polls, and I don't think he sees much. He's actually said there's not much of an upside for him. He's already beating them. How? What would him going to those debates even do for him? He already has the content he needs. If anything, if he was on the political chessboard, if I were in Trump's shoes, I'd just focus on Biden's policies and trying to shift the focus to the government's ineptitudes. And there, there's a lot of content there, but unfortunately Trump also has a kind of that polarizing situation where a lot of people focus on him, not the policies, and not his, not his opponent's policies, which I believe is one of the main reasons he lost in 2020. Now, it looks like when it comes to the specific ESPN host, you have Stephen A. Smith. So it's not the Stephen Smith from American Dad. I, I did a little bit of research. It's not an animated little character. And it looks like this gentleman... So he's a he's a commentator, and he's wearing an under, a sleeveless Under Armour sweater. If you can't see, if you're only tuning in on the podcast, which is on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, I was not in my head in disappointment because there was a time when gentlemen would always suit up, as a philosopher might say. And nowadays, people are actually have no they, they they are not ashamed to just go to the office to the office in casual it's not even friday when he had this i believe which casual friday one debate you know that's, that's gone too far in and of itself people even wear sandals on the day but i digress we actually have steven smith so he is apparently an american sports personality and he is from the bronx new york city born in 67 and best known for an NBA analyst for ESPN at SportsCenter. And it looks like, let me pop a little quick little video of him. Quick question for you. No. There we go. But the more I see stories like this, the more it alerts me to the fact that Ron DeSantis, you don't need to be governor. I'm sorry, you don't need to be president either. The what does this have to do with football again? Oh, uh, nothing. Okay, never mind. Battles that he's fighting are just unconscionable. Why is the governor concerning himself with African-American studies? By the way, in the state of Florida, it's been, be it's, it's, it's been being taught since 1994. Why are you concerning yourself with such things? And when it says here, because I want to make sure that I'm quoting it correctly, bars and structures in schools that suggest anyone is privileged or oppressed based on their race or skin color... Yeah, so this is coming from Ron DeSantis trying to ban CRT in a state. Yet another media spin where, so very similar to the pejoratively called Don't Say Gay Bill, which did not have the word gay in the bill itself. They simply said, I believe it was kindergarten or to third grade, you're not allowed to discuss any sexual themes with children. That includes straight. That's all sexual themes. You're not allowed to talk about them with kindergarten or third grade. Why some people were irate about that, including Disney's former CEO Bob Chapek, 
and the corporation in and of itself is beyond me. Why you need to indoctrinate or indoctrinate a kindergartner about your orientation, whether whatever it is, I don't understand how that can. I don't know how people fathom that as child appropriate. Now, in terms of the CRT, there are actually explicit books where they were saying different children were valued differently based on their race, which is disgusting because the United States, the foundation of our country, is all men are created equal. That's what founding fathers wrote, and they're infinitely smarter than pretty much every political... No, I was about to say pretty much. No, every commentator today you hear on the media. Are you trying to deny the fact that white folks have been privileged compared to other races? They're, oh, well, they certainly are prayers when it comes to college admissions. They were actually discriminated against for decades until the United States just recently overturned affirmative action. ...of people in this country. Let me see here. Are you kidding me? That is a fact that even white folks haven't denied. Okay. Now, that media little clip was actually courtesy of the Daily Wire on Bed Show. I took a little peek at it. And what does this have to do with football? So you're seeing a lot of this being taken out of context because of Ron DeSantis. And again, I don't agree with all his political statements or all his policies. I certainly agree with the ones that have helped his business, helped businesses and people out exponentially. And he has some great policies, but they're quite literally manipulating all of his actions and policies, not only to be inauthentic, they're lying about the policies, but they're also of course doing it to make him look as bad as possible. Now, there's a lot of debate philosophically, you know, from a cultural perspective, why, why are you having all these TV shows all venomously attacking Republicans? I, I've yet to see a single broadcaster talk negatively about anyone on the left. And uh, it's fascinating to see people still tune to these shows, but I guess they just don't care about the bias. Interesting. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Tucker Carlson interviewing Ice Cube and causing some people to have a meltdown. Now, this is an interview in which they actually go to Ice Cube's old neighborhood. And Ice Cube, in terms of controversy, it kind of came to the boiling point where a lot of people realized during the lockdowns and the jab with the, well, the government caused the lockdowns, actually. But it's one of those instances where Ice Cube refused a $9 million contract for a Jack Black film. So he chose not to be in the film because the condition of the film was you had to get the jab. And Ice Cube's ideals were, well, it's not really tested. We don't know what it's going to do. It could have some side effects. We don't know. There's also a lot of censorship where you're not allowed to talk. The people who are talking about side effects are immediately just silenced on social media. So let's watch that for a minute or two. Cemetery where a lot of people in this area laid to rest right there. Anyone you know? No, a lot of people I know. A lot of people I know. A lot of friends, you know, a few family members. Out of all the kids I grew up with, at least 13 of them are dead. And that's before they even reach 21. You know, I'm, I just turned 21, so, you know. In this video got 10.3 million views within two days. So this is episode 10 of Tucker Carlson's new show. It also shows you how much of a business blunder Fox News is for firing him. We also know that, that the mask has kind of fallen in terms of that company's being a two-faced charlatan of a company. But... He, on average, his daily views on Fox News are nowhere near million. I believe it was the highest for the industry. It was nowhere near 2 million. Yeah, alone 10. Uh, I'll, thank God that I'll even reach 21. Just the block I grew up on, right here. Yeah, 
understand. Does this look the same? It, it pretty much looked the same. Uh, you know, but it used to be like more trees. Like every every house had a tree in front of it. And uh, at some point the city started cutting, cutting the trees out. They said that the helicopters couldn't see people. So they started. That's ironic. The same people who want to plant all the trees in the world are cutting them down. There's a little irony in there. What, the police helicopters? Yeah, so they, could, they start cutting trees out. Three decades and billions of dollars later, it's still a tough place. How do you, you just need to throw more money at the problem. That's what we're always told. Just throw more money and it'll somehow magically get fixed. Don't worry about the methodology or lack thereof. What do you think politicians in Los Angeles have done running the city? It's pretty much the same people running it the same way. Politicians only really pay attention to the people that give them money. Everybody else is kind of an extra in that movie. We love you in the same, but we can do the same without you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, do you ever give money to politicians? No. Why? I don't believe in politicians. Politicians have hidden, hidden agendas. They I never heard wiser words from a rapper. The bar is relatively low. I also don't know many rappers, but still. They owe a lot of people a lot of favors. The more money you give them, the more you're, you're listened to. So you've never fallen for a politician? Um, I can't say that. You know, I've had hope and, you know, dreams that, you know, this guy is going to be the guy. What did you think of Obama when he got elected? You know, for the first time, I felt proud that America took that step. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think they would ever do, do that. And so that was the moment in time. Um, but then you look around, years go by, and you know, not much, not much change uh, for people I know, people I care about. We've had six major race riots on the president's watch. Race relations at. So this is showing a compilation of videos during Obama's presidency. Uh, interestingly enough, Chicago still has not gotten fixed in 90 plus years of having the same politicians in power. But they chose what they want. Plummeted to lows not seen since the Rocky King. Did Chicago a toddler is now the latest victim of the city's deadly surge in gun violence. But it didn't change with Bush. It didn't change with Clinton. It didn't change with uh, other Bush, uh, Reagan. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's still the same results. So you're describing a symbolic victory? Yes. In a lot of ways, yes. And then came George... So the whole interview is about 12 and a half minutes long, so I won't take about too much of it. I highly recommend going to Tucker Carlson's Twitter profile and checking out the whole thing. But it's an exceptional interview where it shows... I don't think as much as divisiveness that media wants us to tell, wants us to think. Many people have more in common than they like us to think, and if you just get to know someone, perhaps you have more common ground than not. But that also perhaps means less votes because there's less conflict. But I digress. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have the Feds lifting rates to a 22-year high. Now, this is, of course, mostly in part thanks to the U.S. government printing more money than had ever been printed before during COVID under both presidencies. So 
It's not one of those things where it's only one party's fault. One does print more money on average, but it is one of those annoying things where no matter who's, once they get in power, most everyone just says, okay, just print more money. Don't cut the budget. Just just print more. Will we pay it back? Will we actually get out of debt? Oh, kick the can down the road. Don't worry about those entitlement programs because that'll bankrupt the country. Because if you dare hint it, you'll lose all your votes, especially from the elderly community if you're talking about Social Security, which is perhaps the most perfect metaphor why the government cannot do most things well. Let me know in the comments if there's anything you think they do do well, but it's one of those things where they said they could save better than you, and of course it didn't work out. And they just stole or manipulated or took the money years over years, years over years over years. Now, it looks like the Federal Reserve is lifting rates yet again earlier this week on Wednesday, and that they're reaffirming the commitment to, to achieving a 2% annual rate of inflation, which that's been the average for quite some time now. That's, that's their goal. That's what they want to have. It'd be nice to have something a little bit more aggressive, perhaps have deinflation in my lifetime. I, I'm very skeptical of that ever happening because that would actually be good for people. And it looks like when asked for comment, Jerome Powell, he said, quote, We've covered a lot of ground and the full effects of the tightening have yet to be felt. Yeah. Unquote. Another perfect example of how you can really have a job guarantee in government, like, it's fascinating to see no one actually take responsibility for anything. Now, the bank raised its benchmark, benchmark lending rate by 25 basis points between 5.25 and 5.5%, which is the highest in 22 years. So this is gonna have a good old fashioned ripple effect across many industries, especially when it comes to the housing market, which when you look at individual consumers, when it comes to interest rates, in addition to credit card, which is a kind of separate topic in and of itself, but when it comes to the traditional interest rates that affect people, more often than not, the biggest things you purchase are vehicles as well as houses. Especially these days, as vehicles darn near cost as much as or more than what a house used to cost. So just a 1% increase in your interest rate can have a tremendous amount on your monthly payment. And I will almost debate if uh, public school math scores are all-time low by design, but if you do a little bit of math when it comes to your monthly payments and how many years you're paying it, those little effects have a dramatic and drastic impact on your pocketbook and your and your quality of life because it's taking up a lot more of your budget than it used to. A good old-fashioned, um, good little fun game to play is, well, might make a lot of people depressed to see what houses are going for these days, but if you go to like a website like Zillow, they'll show you the house, they'll show you a little monthly budget calculator. Now, put in your down payment and you look at the cost of the house or land or what you're buying, and it'll tell you that monthly cost. Play around with that interest rate. Go from one to 7%. It's a life-changing monthly amount of money that you're gonna be spending or saving. So that's one of those instances where it'd be great if uh, more useful things were taught in public schools. Not all of them are like are useless as some might say. I just can't help but notice many of them don't teach the most basic things when it comes to personal finances or responsibilities or in, in those regard or history, but some might say that's by design. Perhaps. Now, other interesting political news, you have tech companies leaving New York in droves. So you have Meta, Spotify, Twitter, Roku being the major ones all downsizing, with some of them choosing not to renew certain leases and others trying to sublet some of their space. Now, in total, more than one-third of roughly 22 million square feet of office space is available to sublet from companies in the tech industry in New York City. Now, it looks like advertising and media companies that have put it back on the market, so that's coming from them as well. Now, despite this, it's not a 
thing that's happening all across the United States. It looks like it has a 13.3, sorry, it says, I quote, despite this at 13.5%, Manhattan's vacancy rate is well below that of San Francisco and Austin. San Francisco having a 25.6% and Austin having a 25%. Now, it seems like they're kind of being saved by well, it's good old fashioned 80 20 rule where 80% of your results will come from 20% of your efforts. And that rule is hold true for a lot of instances. In this case, it seems to be true when it comes to the tech companies. Now, there's growing tech space. So more square footage is being taken from Google and Amazon, which both grew exponentially over the whole lockdown experience. So it'll be interesting to see as when it comes to the politics of these cities and the tax rates and the cost of living goes up and up and up. At the end of the day, only a couple of the largest tech companies can afford to be there. Which is why it's fascinating to see pretty much every tech, many tech companies are headquartered in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. But when you look at the majority of their employees and the operations, they're out of state. That's why pretty much every tech company that you think about for both enterprise and consumer, when it comes to their sales reps, they're not headquartered in California. They're headquartered in Texas, the Carolinas. You got one, I believe, in uh, Washington and in Portland. They're all out of California. So it'll be interesting to see, do California and New York reverse some policies or get rid of some policies or add policies to attract businesses? Or do they just kind of keep going the same way they've been going for decades and we'll see how much their uh, real estate market can really afford. Time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Trader Joe's recalling almond cookies because they might contain rocks. Now. It looks like these recalled treats are the ones that are called almond windmill cookies and dark chocolate chunk. It looks like the specific sell-by date, the almond cookies sell-by date are between October 19th and 21, and the dark chocolate one are October 17th and 21. Well, actually, reverse the two. So if you go to the store and you see that sell-by date, that means there's a fair chance that there's rocks in those cookies. Now, it's one of those interesting things where thankfully, Rocks are, the people who shop at Trader Joe's perhaps might enjoy that because rocks are usually locally sourced and they're 100% organic. I don't recommend eating them, but I mean, there's some upside. So they're not lying when the package says organic. Now, it looks like specifically stones or pebbles are likely to be contaminated in food products during the harvest season. This is according to Safe Food 360. It also coincidentally helps with the weight of the product since when when you look at most food products, they're not actually you don't get it based on the number of units inside of it. It's based by the weight, the actual weight of the product. So this certainly helped that weight as well. But this is the second or third recall Trader Joe's has had this year when it comes to health food related products. And for a company that advertises itself as a boutique, high-end, high quality organic store, one would think they have extremely high qualities, you know, standard qualities. And they would perhaps put a, you know, put a lot more focus and attention to ensure things like these don't happen. I mean, the simple quality control test might help out a little bit and just kind of peer, peer inside the container, you know, see through and see, oh, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's pebbles in there. Probably not prudent to accept the shipment of food. So to have a premium grocery store continue to have business plumbers like this and continue to have health-related issues, I believe salmonella, was, or they have some poisoning with the last product, it, that's the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Again, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers so in the next couple of 30 days. So I really appreciate everyone taking the time to subscribe. Also, don't forget to like and comment. Those things also greatly help the videos get shared more often. Also, 
Don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your enemies, heck, tell your coworkers again, tell your enemies again. Just stay safe, fight the good fight.